Welcome to Voices of Government IT, sponsored by Unisys. This month, we are discussing zero trust. Now, here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Matt Newfield, Chief Information Security Officer at Unisys. And Matt, let's start with the basics here, because the word zero trust is bandied around a lot these days. What does the Unisys context mean for zero trust? What do you think it is? Sure. And uh, let's start there. So I think there's a, there's a lot of misinformation around zero trust, and I think the actual term is a bit of a misnomer. Um, a lot of people think it's it is designed so that we inherently do not trust our environments, we don't trust our people, and it's got a pretty negative connotation around it. And I actually think it's, it's a lot different than that. When I look at environments, when I look at technology, um, and when I look at protecting our organization, our brand, our people, and our data assets, we have to think differently. In the past, it was all about building walls. You would build as many walls as possible to try to keep bad things from happening to those inside the environment and to keep the intruders out. I mean, this goes back to the medieval days, right? Um, and really what we're talking about now is the intruders are already inside. And an intruder actually has a different term these days. We are intruders in our own environment because we're human beings and we make mistakes. Um, in federal environments, that is the same as in commercial environments as well. And I think the concept that we're trying to recommend to people is, why don't we look at the environment instead of making assumptions about what's going on, let's start with the basis of we need to validate every request, every user, um, and we need to relook at our technology so that we don't have situations where just because you logged in the morning, doesn't mean that you should be there. Just because your laptop or desktop is plugged into a segment doesn't mean that it should have access to assets, data sets within the environment. So in many ways, we actually don't trust our users, not because we don't like them as people, but because as digital entities, they all have to be verified. Absolutely, and we should continually verify those individuals throughout the day. Um, we should be continually verifying as they access different things because you know, you never know what changes throughout the day. Um, and by doing that continual verification, we can make sure that we're really giving granular access, which by the way, the federal government's been doing for years. They just need to take it to that next level. And does zero trust in some sense, the concept of it, take agencies and practitioners of cybersecurity outside of the perimeter hardened edged view Absolutely, into the does. era of where we have cloud computing and resources all over the place and people coming and going and mobility and really a very undefined border for well, IT assets. Well, that's just what it is. There is no border anymore. You have, you have people that work from home. You have people that work from the coffee shops. You have people that work from planes these days. So where is the border? Uh, by building up those walls, it doesn't really protect you anymore. Um, and we need to think differently. And I also think what a lot of organizations are doing incorrectly is they forget the human element. The human element is very important. I think a, a fundamental piece of what we're trying to say when people in the cyber world are talking about zero trust. Humans make mistakes. People click links, right? That's the joke. People love to click links. They hit reply when they should not hit reply. They go to websites and they type things incorrectly into URLs. It's not because they're bad, but it's just because they're human. I've made those mistakes before. Everybody has. 
So if you build out an environment that's continually checking for those things, it's continually checking to see that, do I still need certain accesses? Um, you can actually make my experience in the environment a lot better, and you can add that extra layer of security to a, an organization or an agency. And you mentioned earlier that everyone is already in the system, both good and bad. Right. What about, well, there's phishing and then the user mistakes. That's one thing we've kind of implied here. But what about malicious software that might be embedded from just the old-fashioned hacking? Right. Well, I mean, malicious software is still a prime concern, but how a lot of malicious software ends up inside your environment is due to people clicking right. those links, due to you going to those URLs. Um, there are still other basics that need to be focused on, like your basic patch management, your basic third-party risk management that you have to do to make sure those avenues are lessened. But a lot of that still comes from people making mistakes. And if you can really take what they're trying to say around zero trust to heart, limiting east-west controls, limiting the ability to spread, limiting what you actually can touch and see to those things that are only critical to you at the time you need them, if you do get that infection, if you do get that piece of malware, you can really limit its spread. You know, in 2017, one of the worst hacks happened, in my opinion, in the world, and it took a major organization down very, very quickly. And it was due to the fact they did not have that continual monitoring and continual verification in place that really allowed this thing to spread throughout their organization. Um, and if they had, if they had done things, and you hear our organization talk about it, if they'd done micro-segmentation, if they'd done really solid east-west controls, if they'd done continual verification, the impact of that breach would have been significantly reduced. And I wanted to, before we get into some of those technical details, and we will in the next segment, but uh, the idea of the malware coming in just by way of people's normal daily activities. There are a lot of agency, public sector situations where people might have to visit websites that you wouldn't or ordinarily expect them to visit in the course of work. It might yep. be research. Absolutely. It's not just shopping on you know, one of the shopping sites, but they're really going to sites where, why was he going there? Well, if you're doing a crime investigation or a background investigation, and very often those commercial sites, even though they might be semi-legitimate or fully legitimate, they contain the advertising that sends in uh, a lot of malware. So how do you, I mean, that, that's got to be part of the equation here. Absolutely. Again, the, the whole concept, and you go back to that human nature, a lot of times the way malware or infection got into an infrastructure was not due to someone's negligence. It was due to their day job. Um, it was due to, you know, happenstance or collateral damage. So there's multiple ways you can do research. For example, we do a lot of research in our organization, and we have very specific environments that I can go to and utilize to do research if it's questionable. Um, just to make sure that if I do happen to be on a site that may happen to have an infection and I get hit with that infection, that it does not propagate through the organization. But there's another concept that a lot of people are starting to focus on, and that's really around active defense. And I'll give you an example of active defense. There's a cyber kill chain, and we don't need to get into the details of it here. Most people would know the steps of a cyber kill chain, but one of the early steps is reconnaissance. So if I was to break into your environment, if I had a piece of malware that was on your platform, one of the first things I'm going to focus on is trying to get a survey of the land. What's mm -hmm. going on? Where am I? What other assets do I have control over? 
So I always ask a question when I'm meeting with information security professionals. In a normal organization, normal agency, how many laptops and desktops should be authorized to do reconnaissance as part of a cyber kill chain? And most people would tell you none, right? No laptop should be running a port scan or should be looking around the environment. So you ask, then why do you allow that to happen? And there's technology, mm -hmm. we happen to have some technology that can actually stop that. So if your laptop does get infected and it does do reconnaissance, we can actively stop that. And people need to start thinking differently. What most people are focused on is stopping the infection. Well, that's almost impossible. I mean, every breach that you can look at over the past five years, did they have preventative controls in place? And the answer is yes. And they had tons of preventative controls. It's like trying to control mosquitoes. Absolutely. So what we want to control is what do you do once you are infected, once you are breached? How do we make that non-newsworthy? And that, I think, is the real key here. All right, good place to take a break on. My guest today is Matt Newfield, Chief Information Security Officer at Unisys. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, on Voices of Government IT, Zero Trust, sponsored by Unisys, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Oh, no, your employee just clicked that link. Let's face it, in today's age, it was bound to happen. Precious seconds are ticking. A phishing attack is underway on your network. You can't afford to have a catastrophic disaster on your hands that will end up all over the news. Luckily, you've implemented Unisys Stealth, an identity-based software that within seconds isolated the attack, segmenting the device from the network and protecting your critical data. Don't change your hardware, change your approach. Unisys Stealth. Welcome back to Voices of Government IT, Zero Trust, sponsored by Unisys here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Matt Newfield, Chief Information Security Officer at Unisys, and I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And Matt, before the break, we were talking about the active defense and early reconnaissance strategy. Just wind up some of the details on what that's all about and how to do it, and then I have some some other tech questions after that. Sure, so I think one of the problems that a lot of people are facing in the cyber world is that they have focused so heavily on peer prevention that they have not spent enough time really understanding what is it we're supposed to do if we get an infection, if we have a breach, how do we react to that? And there's a lot of tech that's in the, the market space today that we have been relying on to help notify us of a problem, but it's that next step that is really uh, a major concern. There have been federal agencies that have released information about you have four days to do something. There was a very interesting article written earlier this year by another organization that said you have 20 minutes to do something if you get an infection or a breach before it's too late. It was 20 minutes from China, an hour from Russia, and three hours from exactly. North Korea. Yeah. And then you look at major studies that say the actual, the mean time to detect is you know, and depending on which article you read, between 160 and 190 days before people really know that they have a problem. And even with all that preventive technology, those things are still existing. So when we talk about active defense, what we're talking about is using machine learning and using some of the basics to really help kill that cyber chain, the cyber kill chain in an environment so that you get real time to investigate what's going on without whatever's in your environment spreading, without data leakage occurring. Um, and that's really what we're talking about with active defense. And in that sense, you also get a better handle on your 
continuity of operations because Absolutely. that's the big fear of cyber people is that something will be interrupted. Well, we've been the office of no for way too many years, right? I mean, it's the <laughs> running joke that when you call the CISO or you call the office of the CISO, generally the answer is you can't do that, right? We, we get tied with legal all the time that, you know, there's too much risk and, and we're no, and that's actually not what we're talking about here. We've really become the office of yes, and here's how to do things safely. Um, and that, I think, is the, the mind shift change. We were talking earlier about the human side of things. It's the ability to be able to tell people what the risk is and how they can still do business safely. And that is also tied into active defense. When we have situations where something may be compromised, where an asset or a credential um, has an issue, how we can deal with that without truly impacting the business on a larger scale. So it sounds like, just to zoom out a little bit for a moment, that to have zero trust, you really have to have an architectural way of thinking Absolutely. as opposed to a technology stack way of thinking. Absolutely. So is it a mindset and an architecture? It's a pure mindset. The core of this is about having a mind shift change, uh, a mindset change. You really want to look at your environment differently. Um, it's putting on a business lens when you think about the organization instead of just a pure technology lens. Who needs to do what to be able to run your business? Who should be accessing certain things in the, in the environment um, so that the business can operate correctly? Even in concepts such as micro-segmentation, taking that to the real next level to say, you and I are part of a micro-segment, you and I are able to have a conversation because we're part of that should you have the ability to initiate that conversation with me, or should I have the ability to initiate that conversation with you? That's not a tech conversation, that's a business conversation, and you can do that throughout your environment. It strikes me that where often people talk about applying business uh, technology and logic to business processes, this is almost applying a cybersecurity architecture to the real life, uh, real life transactions that take place and in interactions among organizations within the larger group. So the problem I think in cyber, to your point, is we've taken it from a pure tech perspective. A lot of us grew up in technology, firewall administration, or we were network administration, but without a lot of business background. And I think what you're seeing in the market space is it's really about the business, right? I, I tell my staff all the time, the reason I'm so focused on the business side of things is without the business, we don't have the budget to secure the business. So that's where we need to start um, and for me, this new mindset really does focus around enabling and growing that business for cybersecurity. And that ties into the idea that uh, really that boards of directors, and in the case of the public sector, secretaries, assistant secretaries, have the responsibility for cybersecurity because they pose existential threats to organizations. So the zero trust mindset then allows the, the security operation to talk in a business sense and maybe justify the investments needed to get there. It's so true. And when, when we're having these conversations, you know, whether it's a board of director, whether it's an agency head, whether it's Congress, when you're talking to them, you have to translate all of these risks into something that they understand, not vice versa. It has to be translated into the business at hand. It has to be put into a business context. And I find it very interesting over the past few years, I've done a lot of research with um, board of directors and with federal executives on why cybersecurity fails them so much. And the number one thing I hear is they don't know what their cyber professionals are talking about. 
right? Mm -hmm. They don't understand how the number of hits on a firewall translates into business process. They don't understand actually why that matters. Um, and you know, we have a tendency in my world to focus solely on providing statistics, FUD statistics, that fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And isn't it great to tell you that when we got attacked 10,000 times yesterday to try to get more budget, and that does not lead to a zero trust mindset, and it also does not lead to better protection for an organization. The flip to it, and I told our board this uh, when we were talking, is you know, I, I showed up today, I showed up here today. Do you care how many accidents I avoided? And the answer is no, right? How many times did I hit the brakes? How many red lights did I not run? Doesn't matter. What matters is I'm here today. There were no accidents. The controls we put in place, either via training, mm -hmm. um, via brakes and technology, worked well enough to get me here safely. That translates directly into business. And when you get early reconnaissance and you also have all these defenses prior to that, you've got a lot of data being generated by the networks. And Absolutely. getting a little technical here, the mantra we hear so much today is that you need artificial intelligence or machine learning in some way to just make sense of all this massive data. So for zero trust, you do need that technology insertion, I would think. Absolutely. But a lot of times where organizations and agencies are failing is not at that extreme level. Once you get past the basics, then absolutely you do. But if you look, again, at a lot of the attacks that are happening at an agency level and a corporation level and from nation states, a lot of them are very basic. Mm -hmm. um, and a good one that recently came out of the DIB is talking about Microsoft Patch Tuesday. And it's Microsoft Patch Tuesday and Hack Friday because what people have figured out is if they take the patches that Microsoft is releasing and they reverse engineer them, they can figure out what flaws in the operating system they're fixing and quickly write code to exploit those flaws knowing that agencies mm -hmm. and corporations are not patching their machines within three days. Most of them aren't patching within 30 days, 60 days, or even 90 days. A lot of them have very difficult times patching those exposed pieces of infrastructure. So they're able to exploit sure. things based off the patches that are supposed to protect them. So you should never be in the set and forget mode when yeah. it comes to cyber. <laughs> You're never in the set and forget mode. And you've always got to be thinking one step ahead and putting in other controls. And, and again, if you can start adding active defense controls to your environment, maybe you don't stop that exploit from running on your um, asset that may have only been compromisable in the last 48 hours or 72 hours because a patch was released. Mm -hmm. But what you can do, again, is um, help your organization quickly recover and make that a non-newsworthy event. Maybe you lose a single machine. Maybe you lose just a couple of machines, but you don't lose an environment. You don't take an entire web infrastructure down. All right, on that note, we'll take a short break. My guest today is Matt Newfield, Chief Information Security Officer at Unisys. And I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This is Voices of Government IT, Zero Trust, sponsored by Unisys, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Oh, no. Your employee just clicked that link. Let's face it, in today's age, it was bound to happen. Precious seconds are ticking. A phishing attack is underway on your network. You can't afford to have a catastrophic disaster on your hands that will end up all over the news. Luckily, you've implemented Unisys Stealth, an identity-based software that within seconds isolated the attack, segmenting the device from the network and protecting your critical data. Don't change your hardware, change your approach. Unisys Stealth. 
Welcome back to Voices of Government IT Zero Trust, sponsored by Unisys, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Matt Newfield, Chief Information Security Officer at Unisys. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before the break, you mentioned something a couple of times, which I think gets down to the technological requirements for Zero Trust. And even though it's not a technology stack per se, you do need some requisites there. And one of them was micro-segmentation. Explain that and how it plays into the modern approach to cyber. So really what you're trying to do, we, we talk about zero trust, we talk about knowing your network, knowing your environment, knowing what's supposed to communicate to what. That's really at the core of what micro-segmentation is. It's limiting your east-west uh, access to those things that only need to, to talk about um, or to talk. And one of the easiest ways to describe it is, if you have a, a normal organization, you may have um, an HR group, you may have a finance group, mm -hmm. you may have a legal group. The people in HR generally don't need access to any assets associated with legal, and legal generally doesn't need any access to those uh, assets that are part of finance. And it's really trying to limit those environments so that if you do have a situation where something in HR gets infected or there's a compromise, its ability to spread through your organization is minimized. Mm -hmm. You know, our goal again, when we talk about micro-segmentation, when we talk about our platform stealth and how it can help companies, it's all about not stopping the bad, it's about making it non-newsworthy. And to me, it's, it's just such a fundamental principle on how we're securing our own organization. In many ways, that maps the rules that you have in place for the people are then uh, reinterpreted as software. Absolutely. To, to limit that east-west, as you call it. But what about the issue of administrative credentials? If the malware gets those, then the administrators can get to all the systems. Well, again, in most organizations, that is the way it is today. Once you have domain admin, once you have an admin credentials, you can do anything you want in a much larger organization. Again, the concept of zero trust, the concept of micro-segmentation is to limit that. If I have administrative credentials for an environment, we can continually monitor what those credentials are being used for. Mm -hmm. And if something is against policy, you can remove those credentials. You can limit them to a segment so that certain credentials are not across the entirety of your organization. You can really try to limit it. So if those credentials uh, are compromised, you don't run into that scenario. And I think one of the other basic things we see, and, and it always makes me raise an eyebrow is, for some reason, credentials for a lot of agencies and organizations that have the most access and the most power also have the least controls. Mm -hmm. They may put a long password on it, but I see all the time system credentials and domain admin credentials set to never expire, which to me is very interesting because if I do compromise those credentials in any way and I sit dormant for nine months, that means those credentials are still good and I don't understand why. And one last thing about that I think is even more key Admin credentials as simple username and password is a fundamental flaw. Multi-factor authentication is a must in an organization, especially for credentials with higher capabilities, so that it has to be you know, one of those four things, what I know, who I am, where I am, what I'm accessing. You've right. got to be able to have multiple. So soft token, hard token, geofencing, whatever you think is appropriate for your organization, you have to have a secondary in there. And once that admin is in, then there are still limits on what it can do. For example, Absolutely. it can't, uh, say, browse files in, in individual personnel files 
but it can go in and defragmentize a disk. Absolutely, or it could do a backup, or it could you know, do an installation, but to your point, it shouldn't be able to jump from being uh, having the ability to do domain work to getting into an encrypted database just because they have sure. that level of access. And that gets to the idea of continuous monitoring because those activities have to be monitored. So how, in a zero-trust building type of uh, system, do you understand what you have to monitor continuously? So there's a lot to monitor. I mean, obviously, one of the biggest problems in the cyber world today or even in the IT world, if you look at the influx of logs, if you look at the influx capabilities, capabilities that we have to see what's going on and pull that together. A lot of people call that the sim of the world. Mm -hmm. You don't have data lakes anymore. The joke has become these are data oceans, right? These are data planets. They're so big and there's <laughs> so much information. And that's where your comment earlier really comes into play. It's about machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to make sense of that information. Because we as humans can only, we can only absorb so much information and make decisions on that, um, on that data set. What we need to be focusing on, again, is that active defense. There are certain things that you will see in your data all the time that we either need to tune away. So, for example, mm -hmm. you may have a lot of information about all the hits on your external perimeter from bad places that shouldn't be there. Okay, is that newsworthy information that mm -hmm. I need to focus on today, or do I segment that off and allow some of our Tier 3 researchers to do work on that later? And do I focus on the things that I think are more fundamental? A lot of us are using that cyber kill chain to really look at uh, mm -hmm. a framework for what data I care about. Because again, if I can stop an attack via that, that, um, that mechanism, the data that we would see in that uh, kill chain is what I really should be focusing on. Because you don't want your operators, the human operators, overwhelmed with a thousand alerts. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and they I can't do their work. I remember a client, they first turned on a SIM, they were getting 10,000 offenses a week. And they thought that was <laughs> the greatest thing ever because that look at all this information we're getting. And then you have to ask one question is, okay, now what? What are you going to do with this information? And they look at you and they're like, well, I can't afford to do anything with it, right? I can't afford the number of people it would take to actually call through all this information. Mm -hmm. And by the time I call through all this information, it's days later, if not weeks, or as that study we were talking about, 190 days later, that I'm actually looking at the information. And 190 days later is a non-defensible situation for an agency or a corporation. And so in the minute we have left, what, what's your best advice for organizations that want to get into zero trust? What do they need to do first? Start of the human element. You really need to get your leadership team and your cyber team to think differently. Don't worry about the technology. There's a ton of technology out there. But you have to start thinking differently. You have to take uh, a, a new approach. And stop thinking that this is about negativity and this is about no. That's not the point. If you have a truly implemented zero trust environment, if you've done micro segmentation correctly, the staff in your organization, your associates, your employee, your agency employees will not have a worse experience. Hopefully they'll have a better experience. All right. Thank you so much. My guest today has been Matt Newfield, Chief Information Security Officer at Unisys. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Unisys. Listen to the entire discussion of Voices of Government IT, sponsored by Unisys, at federalnewsnetwork.com. Oh, no. Your employee just clicked that link.
Let's face it, in today's age, it was bound to happen. Precious seconds are ticking. A phishing attack is underway on your network. You can't afford to have a catastrophic disaster on your hands that will end up all over the news. Luckily, you've implemented Unisys Stealth, an identity-based software that within seconds isolated the attack, segmenting the device from the network and protecting your critical data. Don't change your hardware, change your approach. Unisys Stealth.